Are you sure? We got it now, brother. I'm old. Forgive me, amen. I oftentimes tell my wife old people are so funny, amen, because I am one. At any rate, the Bible tells us there in the book of James, chapter number 4, the Bible says, beginning in verse number 1, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer once again. Father in heaven, as we approach thy throne of grace in prayer this evening, Lord, the singing of the songs this evening have been a great blessing to me to be able to hear thy saints sing out. Lord, to hear this dear brother and his daughter up here singing a special. Lord, that touched my heart as well. Father, I pray this evening now and I ask of thee, Lord, my, my greatest enemy as I stand here before the people this evening, Lord, it is myself. Father, I must confess that there are times, Lord, that I, either we will think, I will think more highly of myself than I should, or sometimes I will think more lowly of myself than I should. But, Father, we know that the victory comes through Thee, through the blood of Thy Son that was shed there upon the cross of Calvary. Lord God, I pray that Thou would empty of myself, that I may be filled of Thy Spirit. Father, I pray that the words that go forth this evening, Lord God, that they would take and bear witness unto Thee. Father, I pray that thou would open hearts, Lord. Lord, we pray for those who are here this evening and lost. Father, we pray that thou would open their hearts unto salvation. Father, we pray for those who are saved here this evening. And Lord God, I beg of thee that thou would open the windows of heaven, Lord God, and shake us up where we are here this evening. Father, I pray that when we leave this place, Lord God, that we will be able to say with full confidence that it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. We love thee and pray and ask these things now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. We'd like to first of all thank the church and the pastor for the invitation to come and be with you all this evening. I believe that the first time that I had preached here in this church was right about 1991 or something like that. And I believe that you all were meeting in another building. The other over there. Amen. But at any rate, I remember the first time that I'd ever preached there that I had, it seemed like that the Lord, there was just a tremendous sweet spirit within the church, within this particular church. And then also as I've come to get to know your pastor more and more, I will say this in all honesty, sometimes pastors will pastorally speak or sometimes they will say ministerically speak. I don't believe that's right. I believe that that's, it, to pastorally speak oftentimes is a lie. But I say with all honesty and all sincerity that your pastor is probably one of the most genuine men that I have ever met. 
and I thank the Lord for him, thank the Lord for his testimony. And I know from personal experience that it's not an easy job to follow a man who had pastored someplace for many years. And uh, so I'm thankful for the pastor the Lord's given to you all. But I would ask of you this evening, we will have just a little bit of a lesson here for tonight before we get into the message. Uh, we know that we have gathered here for revival this evening, starting last night, of course. But whenever we think about revival, I wonder what comes to your mind when you think about revival. I mean, I believe that we can safely say that we all desire revival this evening. Is that right? Otherwise, we can turn the lights off and go home early. Amen. We can go to Skyline early. Amen. But at any rate, beloved, whenever we think about revival and when you all began to pray about revival, I would ask of you, what was the thing that came to your mind as you were praying about that? In other words, as you would think about those things, as in your mind this evening, I would ask some of you men maybe, give me an answer for what do you think revival would look like? The, the reason I say this, if I were to go deer hunting and I don't know the difference between a cottontail rabbit and a deer, I'm probably not going to do very good deer hunting, am I? In other words, if you say, Brother Spears, that's not a deer, that's a rabbit. Brother Spears, that's a raccoon, that's not a deer. Well, if I'm going to go deer hunting, and if I'm going to go out and try to pull something under myself or capture something or shoot something, uh, capture something. We seldom ever capture deer, amen. Did you ever capture a deer, brother? The funny thing about it is I make fun of people when they talk about capturing deer instead of hunting them, amen. But at any rate, uh, I would ask of you this evening, if, if the Lord were to bless you all with revival here in the church, what would it look like? Some of you, brother, help me out. What would it look like? Hard, isn't it? Let me, brother, help me out. Signs of revival. When a revival would break out, what would be some of the signs of it? I'm sorry, brother? More obedience. More obedience in our lives. I believe also another sign of revival would be to see souls saved. For sure, we realize that according to the history books, the first great awakening, as George Whitfield would preach, and Jonathan Edward would preach, there would be many, many souls saved. And the truth is that we don't often see revivals in that manner such as that uh, in our day today. But let me just point out a couple of things before we get back to our text this evening. Uh, that clock is right, isn't it, brother? It's 9.30? Amen, brother. I've been told there is a clock here on the pulpit somewhere. Okay, 7.28. We got it, brother. And what time do you want me to finish, brother? 9.28. Okay, brother. Some people are saying amen, amen. Some people are saying oh me. At any rate. But there are two aspects of revival that I would like to open up with this evening as pertaining to the message the Lord has placed on my heart. One of the aspects of revival, and I believe that one of the major aspects of revival, is when the windows of heaven are open and we begin to see souls saved, such as in the days of Jonathan Edward, George Whitfield, what we oftentimes refer to as the first great awakening. In other words, we see multitudes of people saved. Now, due to the fact that we believe in the sovereign grace of God, due to the fact that the Word of God teaches the sovereign grace of God. In other words, the Bible tells in the book of Jonah that salvation is of the Lord. It is not, it's not up to us. We know, beloved, uh, there are some churches out there who they will go out and they will have a revival. And I will give you a little glimpse of what some of those revivals look like because I used to be numbered among them. Sometimes there are certain churches or certain religious affiliations and they will go out and they will get people to do something. They will get people to say something. I attended a conference here several years ago in the church. We will not mention the name of it, but the conference, in the conference, they began to hand out little lapel pins. Is it okay if I move around, brother? Okay. 
they began to hand out little lapel pins, and on those lapel pins, it said, I won 101. And the church, or the church also had a Bible college there in it. And the thing about it was, was all the young preachers, buddy, they were encouraged, if you really want to win your 101, if you want this lapel pin to wear around in the rest of the revival, you better be out knocking doors. You better be convincing people to get to trust Christ. You better be getting people into the kingdom of heaven. And I'll tell you what, the shenanigans that would go along with that, it was hideous. It was pitiful. Uh, one man, he told about how he went into a Wendy's restaurant, and he seen a man there with a uniform shirt on. We'll say his name was, I don't know, Bob. Are there any Bobs here this evening? Okay, we're safe then. But he would go in there. He sees a man there with a tag on his shirt that his name was Bob. Well, he goes up to him in the middle of a busy Wendy's restaurant at lunchtime, and he says, hey, Bob, how you doing, buddy? And Bob said, well, I'm doing fine. And Bob was a little bit taken back because he didn't know the guy. Well, they were strangers. But at any rate, what they ended up doing is he told Bob in a very loud tone of voice, he said, Bob, it's been a while since I've seen you, but let me just ask you, Bob, you don't want to die and go to hell, do you? He asked Bob that in a, a restaurant full of people, and he asked it loud enough so everyone in the restaurant could hear that. Now, this was 20 years ago, and there was a little bit more shame back then. In other words, some people today would say, yeah, I want to die and go to hell, what's it to you? But back in that day, nobody was bold enough today to say, well, yeah, I don't mind. But Bob said, well, no, in fact, I don't want to go to hell. Well, what he did was he said, well, Bob, bow your head and pray with me right now. Well, he led that man in a sinner's prayer, but there were many such shenanigans as that carried out. And oftentimes, beloved, the mass majority of it, vast majority, was false professions. Now we know, beloved, that in order for a soul to be saved, as the Bible tells in the book of Jonah, that salvation is of the Lord. Now here's my point this evening, beloved. If a great revival is to break out here because of the preaching here at Winton Place over the course of the next few days, then we will rejoice in the Lord for that. As the Lord saves people, we will rejoice in that. But the one aspect of revival that I would like to kind of separate us from just a little bit this evening and cause us to realize that that is beyond our ability to control is whether or not souls are saved, beloved. We should weep for them. We should cry for them. We should preach to them. We should tell them about the gospel. But whether or not they're saved, that is the work of God. In other words, we, we do not have the ability in and of ourselves to save an individual. If we did, then I'm sure everybody in Cincinnati would already be saved. Everybody in Kentucky would be, but it is of the Lord. So therefore, with regards to that aspect of revival, we want to point out this evening that we do not have the ability to bring about that kind of revival, and we realize that. We cannot do it. But the second aspect of revival, and what it is what I'd like for you to notice here in our scripture passage for this evening, the Bible says there, uh, chapter James 4 and verse 1, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your own lust, that war in your members? Now, you see, beloved, oftentimes as we read James chapter number 4, to be honest, I think that passages like this are somewhat written for men like, uh, oh, Larry Flint. How many know Larry Flint? It's a pity, amen. But a passage like this, we look at people like uh, Larry Flint, Hugh Hefner, we take and say, boy, I'll tell you what, that passage there is really tearing up these wicked, wicked sinners out in the world. But beloved, it's not written to people who are all of that nature. It's written to Christians. 
Now let's think here. The Bible says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? That would be obviously conflicts. Come they not hence, even of your own lust, that war in your members. Now the lust there is not necessarily a sexual lust, but it is a looking unto sin, and it is a desiring that sin, whatever that sin may be. And when it comes to these sorts of sins for Christians, that particular sin, it may be a strong longing simply to be on Facebook. You get up in the morning and say, well, I, I should really be reading my Bible, and somehow or another we don't have time to read our Bibles, but we can squeeze in a few minutes for Facebook to see what's happening there. And it doesn't even need to be Facebook. It can be any number of other things. I'm not saying Facebook is inherently sinful. I'm not saying that at all. But the point is that whatever it is that we lust over, that which we're lusting over is drawing us away from the Lord. It is not drawing us to the Lord, but it's drawing us away from the Lord. Ye lust. The Bible says ye lust and have not. Beloved, how many times in our lives do we feel as though, boy, I, I really, really want this, or I want that, but yet the Bible says, ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain, ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lust. I would like to have the brand new 2023 Corvette. How many seen them? Amen. Aren't they nice cars? But you see, beloved, once again, there's nothing sinful about a, a brand new Corvette. But if that brand new Corvette begins to be an obsession of mine within my mind, and I, I begin to cease to focus upon the Lord, and instead I focus upon this Corvette, now I'm lusting over something. And the truth is, could you imagine me be bold enough to take and say, Lord, I want this Corvette, or I'm just never going to be happy? Well, that would tell me that I believe my life is all about me rather than being all about the Lord. That is a lust. Now, the Bible goes on to say there in verse 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Once again, it can certainly be applied to people who are literally giving to adultery. We realize that, beloved. But the truth is, according to our context here this evening, the Bible says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You see, beloved, oftentimes when we mention that, and there's a very, very uh, old phrase uh, that I remember from my younger days, people used, or preachers used to preach on this. They would take and call things, certain things, spiritual adultery. In other words, obviously, it's not the physical act of adultery, but rather it's spiritual adultery. It has taken our God-given affections that ought to be placed upon the Lord, and instead we place those affections on something else, someone else, something else, somewhere else, but in other words, this is what the Bible speaks of. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, beloved, could you imagine being the enemy of God? What famous gangsters have you had here in Cincinnati, brother? We can go to Al Capone in Chicago, is that right? A little ways down the street. But could you imagine if I were to come to you and take and say, you know what? What's your name again? You'd say, well, my name's Daniel Holt. Well, then you're the man then. I have heard it on good source that, and I know Al Capone's dead, obviously, but I've heard it on good source that Al Capone's gunning for you. He's going to get your head. Do you think that would cause any consternation in Brother Holt's life? 
I mean, I would think he's, man, this is Al Capone. The guy's no joke. I mean, he, nobody knows how many bodies that he's had buried. Well, how, why would we feel that way? The reason that we would feel that way is because of the, uh, the reputation that Al Capone has. To be an enemy of Al Capone would be a dreadful thing. But the Bible makes mention here that therefore, I'm sorry, ye adulterers and adulterers, know ye not that friendship the world is enmity with God. Therefore, who, who will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. When we enter into that realm, to be honest, that we begin to have an adulterous relationship with the things of this world. When the things of this world get too much of a hold, a foothold in our lives, beloved, then it is not to say the Lord's our enemy, that he is going to cast us into hell, but what I believe what the Bible is teaching is that it puts us in a different position with God. I'm not saying an unsaved position at all, but what I'm saying is that it affects our fellowship with the Lord. Now, I want you to notice on there, the Bible says, do you think the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Beloved, I hate to admit this being the preacher here tonight, but what I can say within myself and ourselves are the only ones we can really know, what I can say with regards to that is amen and oh me for Brent Spears because that is the truth of God's word. There is a spirit within us, the old man, the old nature, which we oftentimes call it, and that old nature, beloved, it lusts. Do you think the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? The Bible goes on to say there in verse number six, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Now, the funny thing with regards to the contrast between pride and humility there, there's a great contrast when it comes to those things. Pride versus humility. In other words, they're opposite poles, if you will. They're the opposite end of the spectrum. But the funny thing is that if we're not careful, we may take and have something take place in our life, and after that thing takes place, we can come to the place that we are proudful about our humility. Think about that. We're prideful about our humility. Talk about our head spinning. Sometimes me and a, a fellow that I used to know, we used to joke about nominating ourselves for the Humble Award, amen? That'd make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? But I want you to notice, the Bible tells us then, it goes on after this, uh, this, these verses, and the Bible says there in verse number 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's also a major element of spiritual warfare which is involved in those things. But I want you to notice, beloved, this, because this is somewhat where the page is turned in one respect, as the Bible tells us about all of these dreadful things, about the spiritual adultery, about the lust that is within us, after the Bible tells us about all of those things, the Bible then goes on to say, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Now, beloved, let me ask you all a question this evening. How many of you here tonight are fully 100% submitted to God right this minute? I can't raise my hand. I hope at this moment that I am for the most part. But you see, beloved, some people they can say, well, if you're saved, then you're already submitted to God once and for all. Well, the Bible in addressing Christians says there, submit yourselves therefore to God. Do we realize, beloved, that in a sense, what revival is, is when we are fully 100% submitted 
to God. 100%, nothing lacking. We're 100% submitted to God. Well, the Bible says there, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You see, beloved, Satan wants to take our hearts and our minds off of this state of submission to God because Satan doesn't like it when Christians are submitted to God. Look at Adam and Eve. They were not Christians as as we would name them today. But the point is Satan did not like it when Adam and Eve were there in the garden and they were submitted to God. So Satan comes along with this temptation and Satan begins to say, Hey, Eve, look over here at this fruit. Has God said you can't eat that? And Eve, she's back and forth all over the place on it. But you see, beloved, it was the modus operandi of Satan to work in the lives of Adam and Eve, the very first two individuals on the face of the earth, to get them to rebel, to fail to be in submission to God. And when Adam and Eve had fallen, according to the Scriptures, beloved, it is when their fellowship with God was broken. That fellowship was broken. Now the Bible says there, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then there in verse number 8, our actual text for this evening, we will not be long, but the Bible says there in verse number 8, Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Beloved, I do not want to make it overly simplistic this evening. I do not want to make it where, uh, where it's so simple that, that we do a disservice to the Word of God. But here's what I'm saying this evening, that according to the Scriptures, the Bible, speaking to the Lord's people, says, draw nigh to God. Draw nigh to God. I think that's pretty simple, is it not? Get closer to the Lord. Now, the Bible doesn't say sit back in our easy chair until the Spirit of God brings you nigh to the Lord. In other words, beloved, when the Bible says draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you, the whole point being there is that as we draw nigh to the Lord. You see, there are times that we may sit back and we will sit on our easy chair and we will sit around and say, boy, I'll tell you what, I would sure enough like to have revival. I'd like to have revival. Boy, I would really like to be close to the Lord. Man, I wish I was closer to the Lord. Lord, do something. Come on, Lord, do something. I want to be closer to you. Lord, I want to have personal revival in my life. Lord, do something. Is it the Lord's job? It's not. It's not. Because the Bible tells us to draw nigh unto God. Now, once again, not speaking to the lost, but speaking to Christians, the Bible instructs us to draw nigh unto God. You know what revival is? Revival is when we draw nigh unto God. That's what revival is. It's when we draw nigh to God. In other words, at one point, we're at a distance from the Lord, and as we draw nigh unto the Lord, then what happens? Now notice the arrangement there too. Once again, it's not a deep, deep message this evening, but as the Bible says there, draw nigh to God. Now after we draw nigh to the Lord, what is it that happens next? After we draw nigh to God, the Bible says, and He will draw nigh to you. Simple. Hard to practice. But it's quite clear as the Scripture presents it that we're to draw nigh to the Lord. Thus, we asked earlier this evening, beloved, what does revival look like? Well, 
I would dare say that a revival is an increase in spending time with the Lord in the lives of his people. What revival looks like. It is to get closer to the Lord than we presently are. To draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Now think with me about this, beloved. Uh, we know that the Lord is omnipresent. The Lord is a spirit. The, God, the Bible says that God is a spirit. They that worship him must do it in spirit and in truth. The Bible also tells us that the Lord is omnipresent. He is everywhere at the same time. But in the spiritual sense, you see, according to the Scriptures, when the Bible says, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh unto you, I believe the picture that comes to my mind is if we were able to take and say that the Lord is over there. Now, once again, we know the Lord is everywhere. We know He's over here just as much as He's over there. But the Bible sets forth these... Uh, uh, anthropomorphisms is what you would call it in theology. In other words, it assigns something to God. It assigns location to God. Because otherwise, if we just focus on the omnipresence, Lord, it would be awful hard to draw an eye to the Lord if He's everywhere at the same time. But the Lord sets forth these ideas that in our minds, spiritually speaking, we may be able to take and say, well, as the Bible says, draw an eye unto God. This in my mind tells me that the Lord is over there. And I take and say, well, I believe that this is where the Lord is. This is where the Lord is found. It is a time that I can draw nigh to Him. And how can I draw nigh? Well, through prayer, through attending services, the preaching of God's Word, through Scripture reading, through Scripture memorization, through Scripture meditation. These are the means which God's given us to draw nigh to Him. Now the thing is then, beloved, is that if I'm going to draw nigh to the Lord, then I must be willing to take and not take the first step in this sense. Now, beloved, I... I want to qualify this, lest someone get misunderstand me. Oftentimes we'll hear people tell lost people, if you take the first step and the Lord does the rest for you. The dead person can't take the first step. They're dead. They can't move. They, they can't sit up. They can't walk. They can't talk. But for the child of God, beloved, we do have the capability to take that first step. And the Bible says that as we draw an eye to the Lord, that He will draw an eye unto us. Now here's the thing, beloved, if we can set it forth like this for sake of example, if we could take and say that the Lord is 20 paces that way, and lo and behold, the Lord is 20 paces that direction, and the Bible says, Brent Spears, you draw nigh to the Lord. I believe that as we take one step, one pace that direction, then I believe that I have drawn nigh to the Lord. And you know what I believe that the Lord does according to His promise? I believe He draws nigh to me. Now you see, beloved, here's the thing. There are certain times that all of us, every last one of us, I, I don't say that to make excuse, but there are certain times that all of us, that we may draw nigh to the Lord two paces, and He draws nigh to us another two paces. And we draw nigh to the Lord three paces, and He draws nigh to us another three paces. Now, we had said that the Lord is 20 paces away, I believe is what I'd said. Well, lo and behold, the thing is, and once again, I don't say this as critic, being critical against the saints here at Winton Place. You, you folks, it's a blessed church, blessed testimony. But I say it in general to all Christians, including this preacher. The thing about it is that there are times that we will take maybe, we'll say, well, I see the need for revival in my life. I'm somewhat sad. I feel like I'm out of sorts with the Lord. I feel like I need to be close to the Lord. Well, and behold, we will take our two paces towards the Lord. He will take two paces towards us. And then we take and continue to live out maybe another year of our life. And we say, I'm closer to the Lord. And I am. I'm two paces closer than I was last, yesterday or last week. 
But the sad part about it is, beloved, is that oftentimes if we're going to do that, then we end up going through a portion of our lives where the Lord is now, let's see, I took two paces, he took two paces, so now the Lord is only 18 paces away from me rather than 20. Now I'm in the position, beloved, according to the Scriptures, if the Lord is 20 paces away and that's not on him, that's on me. The Lord's not up in heaven saying, I don't want to draw nigh to you. I don't want to be close to you. But God is up in heaven looking down upon us as His dear children. And the Lord is saying, I, I, I want you to draw nigh to me. If you draw nigh unto me, then I will draw nigh unto you. And this is the relationship. But once again, sometimes we may feel a little bit cold, a little bit of and we'll take another space. And we'll say, boy, I'm closer to the Lord now. But do you know what full, perfect revival is? It's when we can walk, spiritually speaking, arm in arm with the God of all creation. As we go through our lives, when we will take and say, you know, I, this thought popped into my mind, and I know the Lord is right here at my side, and I know that this thought is not pleasing the Lord, and Lord, I repent of that sin right here, right now, because Lord, I don't want us to get a distance between us anymore. The Lord tells us to witness to someone and maybe we're feeling like, well, I'm in a hurry or they look mean or they look scary or they, they look like they wouldn't appreciate a good witness. And lo and behold, beloved, we fail to be sensitive to the leading of God's Spirit. And as a result of that, it causes a distance between us and the Lord. How many of you men are married here this evening? A few. Have you men ever got a distance? Si, you better raise your hand. Evan, you're almost there. We're going to warn you, okay? How many of you men have ever gotten a distance between you and the little missus? That angel that the Lord gave you to spend your life with, amen? Yeah, he's getting some brownie points in there. Have any of you men ever come to the place that it feels as though, I believe there's an old movie or song or something about sleeping with the enemy. You go in there and you get in bed. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I can't believe he's been treating me this way. I can't believe she did that. I can't believe that they did this. I can't believe that they said that, whether it's the he or the she, because both parties have guilt. And you know, sometimes you might drift off to sleep and you have some resentfulness or bitterness in your heart and in your mind towards your spouse. What do you do to fix it? Amen. Now the truth comes out, brother. And come on, some of you men tell me, what do you do to fix it? Mercy, there must be a lot of miserable marriages here, brother. Amen. Come on, brother. Holt, you're in the position. What is it, brother? What is it? I'm sorry. Amen. I'm sorry. That goes a long way. Sometimes a few flowers go a long way to help out, help facilitate the deal. Amen. But in other words, there has to be a change there. And if there's never any change there, then nothing is going to change in your marriage. If nobody says, I'm sorry, or no flowers are shown up, or no car, or, or a heart-to-heart -heart talk, beloved, if that does not take place, then you're not going to get closer to your spouse. Instead, you're going to stay the same distance apart or grow further apart. And you see, I, I ask the men first because, men, it's your responsibility to fix the problems. It's your responsibility. Don't wait for your wife to do it. It's your responsibility as the head of the family. But well, I want you to notice there in verse number 8, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. The Bible goes on to say there, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, 
and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Once again, when I read these passages, sometimes I think, I think this is talking about people in prison. It's talking about convicts, people in prison. I mean, it's talking about the worst of the worst, the scum of the earth. I'm not talking to people like that. I'm talking to Christians. Now, what does the Bible say there once again? Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Mothers, why do you have you mothers ever had to tell your children, go wash your hands before dinner? Any of you mothers ever told them that? You ever have to tell your husband that? Hey, I figured as much. Why do we tell them that? Because their hands are dirty. As the Bible tells us there, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Beloved, the thing that puts that distance between us and the Lord is that there are sins that enter into our lives. In other words, when we have those sins on our hands, beloved, then it seems like everything else that we touch in our life, that sinfulness transfers to it. I changed the oil in our vehicle before I came up today. And lo and behold, I remembered why I didn't really like mechanical work. I can do body work. I enjoy that better. But mechanical work, once you get oil on your hands, if you have oil on your hand, you think, well, you know what? My head's itching. And you go to scratch your head. You know, what do you have on your head then? Especially if your head's as pretty as mine. Amen. There's no hair to hide anything. You wind up with oil there. Think, man, I, I, I can't believe that. You may not even know it's there. You go touch the doorknob with oil on your hands, and you know what's going to happen? You're going to wind up with oil on the doorknob. You take and read, pick up the owner's manual over your car. You begin to look at the owner's manual in the car, and you can oftentimes tell the guys that changed their own oil because they got their fingerprints. There's oily fingerprints on the owner's manual. You see, it transfers to other areas of our life. And as the Bible says there, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Now, beloved, once again, there's an expression that we oftentimes use, and that is this. We must not ask God to do for us that which He has commanded us to do for ourselves. In other words, beloved, I cannot sit back and say, Lord, clean my hands up. Lord, Lord, get busy and clean my hands up. It's not the Lord's job to clean my hands up as His child. The Bible says there, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Once again, I believe that it's speaking to Christians there because the Bible says that they're double-minded. A lost person is not, not, not double-minded. They're single-minded toward the devil. But as the Bible says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Beloved, I ask of you once again this evening, and I greatly appreciate that's the first time I ever heard that song that we sung, or, or the last song we sung, Do We Really Want Revival? But as we begin our conclusion for this evening, let me ask you the question tonight, beloved. As we ask ourselves, do we really want revival? And then if we would take and say, because to be honest, it's unchristian to say, no, I don't want revival. I mean, you're exposed then. As Christians, we're all supposed to want revival if we're truly a child of God. But you see, the point is this evening, if we ask ourselves, do we really want revival? Then I would ask of each of you here this evening, if you have sin in your life, then that sin is hindering you from having a personal revival. It's hindering you. Now, Brother, Brother Pearson had said this evening earlier, I believe that you'd ask the Lord's blessings upon the church individually as well as corporately. 
Now, beloved, it, this is important. It's very simple. I, I trust that I don't offend you through the simplicity of it, but here's the thing. If Brother Holt is here, and Brother Holt says, well, you know what? I know that I need to cleanse my hands, and there's nothing I know about in his life. But Brother Holt's there saying, well, I know that I need to cleanse my hands, but I really want revival in our church. Man, I want revival in my church. And Brother Holt says, this young man here will just cleanse his hands, and you will cleanse your hands, and you will cleanse your hands, and everybody else will cleanse their hands, then we can have revival. Even though mine might be have a little bit of sin on them, then everybody else can have revival. And maybe we can say, Brother Holt, I can't believe you'd think that way. Well, he's not. I'm just picking on him. But the point is, what if every member in the church feels the same way? And the couple over here, they take and say, well, you know, we want revival, but I think it's Brother Hiles' job. Yeah, you be the one, brother. This brother here says, well, I want revival, but, you know, I, I really, there are things that I don't really want to let go of. But you see, beloved, that open invitation to draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you, it is an open invitation to every child of God everywhere upon the face of the whole earth. So in this sense, beloved, we ask ourselves, do we really want revival? And we also ask the question, are you as close to God as you want to be this evening. That's what it really comes down to. Are you as close to God as you want to be this evening? Maybe we should say as you should be this evening. And if we are not as close to the Lord as we should be, we have to, first of all, we'd preach on it heavily already, acknowledge the fact that if you're not as close to the Lord as you want to be or as you could be, that's your fault. Now, how do we remedy that, beloved? Because... The Lord doesn't put those things out there and then leave us to hang in limbo. But the way that those things are remedied is as we cleanse our hands and as we take and bring our thought processes into submission to the Word of God, by those things we're able to draw nigh to the Lord. It's not an impossibility. Brother Holt cannot draw any of you nigh to the Lord. He can preach the Word of God. But when it comes to that individual responsibility, Brother Holt, he could stand up and preach in his loudest voice for a month of Sundays. Brother Holt could not bring anyone to the Lord, beloved. We don't believe in the in, in intercessors such as Mama Mary or the priest or preacher or anyone else. We believe that the child of God, their relationship with the Lord is contingent just upon that, the individual before God with Christ as our intercessor. Now Christ has died upon the cross of Calvary that we may be close to the Lord. He's already purchased that wherewithal for His children to draw nigh to the Lord. But beloved, what it comes down to then is in our own lives. And I would like to ask each of you this evening, what is it that's putting distance between you and the Lord tonight? Someone wisely said, I always like the expression, not inspired, but someone had wisely said that a problem precisely defined is already partially solved. Now here's the thing, beloved. If we continue to go through our lives, we say, well, I want revival, I want revival. But we're never willing to look down at our hands and see what is there in our hands. And we're never willing to repent of it then sad to say, it turns into revival being basically a pipe dream that we pay lip service to, but it never comes because I have whatever it is in my hands. 
Now, beloved, we realize we're not saying anyone here's a, a bank robber or anything like that this evening. We're not saying that at all. But, beloved, the Bible tells us in the book of Song of Solomon that it is the little foxes that spoil the vines. In other words, it's those little nitpicky things. And you see, beloved, the truth is, and I, I mentioned Facebook. I've been having a struggle with Facebook. I just need to sign off of it in a way. But I like Marketplace, amen? But sometimes it may be that little thing to sit there and spend more time on Facebook, whatever it may be in your lives. And I think, well, I really should sign off here and read the Bible. But then I'll kind of think, say, well, it's not like I'm robbing banks to stay on Facebook another five minutes. It's not like I'm committing the cardinal sin to stay on Facebook another five minutes. I mean, a lot of people are on Facebook. A lot of fine Christians are on Facebook. Five more minutes, I mean, that's not the unpardonable sin. But you see, beloved, the problem is this. It goes on and on and on through life, and that becomes the little fox that spoils the vine. And it almost comes to the place that we feel like that we are a servant to it. For some of you, it may not be Facebook per se, exactly Facebook, but it may be the slavery to our cell phones. And once again, I speak to myself more so probably than I do to many of you folks with regards to this. It may be that slavery to our cell phones. But do we not see this all over our society today? That as soon as, soon as people sit down on a seat, it seems like cell phones come out. And it seems like we draw into our own little world rather than meditating upon the things of God. Now, once again, I know Facebook can have verses. Our phones can have verses and sermons and all, all sorts of things like that. But what I'm saying, beloved, is that in these respects, if we're not careful, it is not as though we have intentionally walked away from our first love, but we have allowed things to enter in there. Now, what I want to ask of you this evening is this. Will you take the next few moments and consider what are the things that hinder your closeness with the Lord tonight? What are those things? I cannot tell you, folks, what it is in your life. But I would ask of you there in the privacy of your own mind right this moment, think about what those things are that hinder you from drawing nigh to the Lord. Think about them. Now, whatever those things are this evening, as you sit and you think about it, ask the Spirit of God to bring it to your mind. That is what He does. After the Spirit of God puts something like that on your heart and on your mind, will you walk away from it? Will you repent of it? Or will you take and say, well, I know that this is what's keeping the distance between me and the Lord, but I'm happy to keep the Lord at 20 paces for the next couple years of my life. You know, that attitude is what hinders revival in our lives. You see, in order for church-wide revival to break out, it must begin in the lives of the individual. This building can't be revived. But you as the Christians, the members of this building, you can be revived. Beloved, once again, I, I don't want someone to feel like, boy, Brother Spears up here just beating us black and blue. I love each of you to pieces, and I mean that with all of my heart. Many of you I do not know very well, but I know your pastor's heart in many respects. And I know that he loves you, that he loves this church. I know a good bit about the history of the church. And you folks are a tremendously blessed church. And I hope you don't feel like, man, Brother Spears come preaching to us like we're a bunch of a bunch of the wickedest people on earth, beloved, we're all hit by the same stick. People in Lexington are just as sinful than, as they are here in Cincinnati. It's the same the world over. 
But I ask of you once again, examine your life and ask yourself, what is it that hinders you from drawing nigh to the Lord this evening? Secondarily, are you willing to put it down? Are you willing to cleanse your hand? Because until we reach that point that we're willing to cleanse our hands, we won't draw nigh to the Lord. We will continue to bang our head against the wall and lament the fact that we don't have revival in our lives the whole time, beloved, that each of us as individuals, we're holding the key to revival right here. Someone said years ago, I used to have a 1970 Chevy pickup truck and it had a bench seat in there and I loved the bench seat in the truck. Well, lo and behold, uh, that's back about the time that I was dating my wife and whenever we would drive in the church, she would scoot over there by me, amen, and she would sit there beside me in the truck. We've all heard the illustration before. Sometimes she got out of line, I'd crack her in the knee when I shifted into fourth gear, amen. Oh, I would never hurt my wife for nothing. But you see, beloved, when she would get in the truck, she would scoot over there and sit by me. Those are precious memories for me. Now I believe by the devil's design, everything's got bucket seats and consoles, amen. But the truth is, beloved, when we stop to think about that, if we say, well, why don't Sister Myra sit next to you anymore? Once again, we have bucket seats and consoles. But there comes a time, if you're not careful, that the wife will stay on her side over there by the door instead of scooting over there to the husband. Now, here's the point. I'm not the one that moved. She was, by necessity, by design of cars. But we would remind you folks of this. If we find ourselves at a distance from the Lord, he's not the one that's drawn away from us, beloved. We have drawn away from him. And I would ask of you this evening, are you willing to put that down? Whatever it is that's in your hand, are you willing to put it down tonight? Will you put it down and walk away from it? Because for as long as we say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with 18 paces from the Lord. Beloved, life can be so much more. To any who are here this evening and lost, we realize that the message has been directed primarily to the Christians this evening. But if there are any who are here who are lost this evening, the Bible tells us in the Gospel of John, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Look unto Christ Jesus. As John had uttered those words, beloved, he was thinking back to the fact that there was a lamb that had passed, had been offered up in the land of Egypt. And that lamb was offered up in order to keep the children of Israel from dying there in that land of Egypt. And that lamb became a precious thing to those people. They would then have the Passover every year in which there was a lamb that was killed in order to commemorate that which is done. When John had seen it, it was John the Baptist who said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The Jewish people during that time, they would have known exactly what John was talking about. He was talking about the one that had taken away the sin. If you're here this evening and you're lost, I admonish you, look to Christ, look to him, and unto him alone. Let's all go ahead and stand, please, this evening. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to thee in prayer tonight. Lord, we pray for the meeting in the days ahead. Father, we absolutely love the fellowship of thy people. Father, from what I have experienced here in this church, these are some of the sweetest, kindest people that I've ever met anywhere in the world. And Father, how we enjoy that, the times of fellowship that we're able to have. Father, I count Brother Holt, Brother Pierce to be great friends to me. And Lord, while we do indeed enjoy our time together, Father, what we long for above all else is revival 
here in this midst of the people. Lord God, I pray that thou would help each and every one of us this evening, including me. Father, may we examine our hands, see what it is that's contaminating our hands, and be willing to look to thy Son, Jesus Christ, and to seek forgiveness from him, and be willing to repent of it, and to cleanse our hands, Lord God, with the ability which thou hast been pleased to give us through thy Son. Please, dear God, bless the remainder of the service this week. Bless the church, Lord God. Father, I pray that we would be honest before thee, even this evening. Father, may we examine our lives and turn from that which sets us this distance from thee. In Jesus' name, we pray and ask these things. Amen. Bless your hope. Thank you.